0: This is Penny Radio. Thank you for tuning in. I'm James Whittington and I'm here to help you master your money. Whether you're a complete beginner or have been around the block once or twice, now is the time to start your journey and take control of your finances. And I'll be with you every step of the way.
1: Hello and welcome to Penny Radio, your personal guide to personal finance, with your hosts James Whittington and Craig James. Welcome to the show, everybody. James, how are you?
0: I'm good, thanks, Craig. Very good. How are you?
1: I am. uh, Yeah, I'm spectacular. I am sitting here in my palatial kitchen, drinking a quiet beer, having just walked the dog around the grounds, extensive grounds, miles and miles, lakes, swans. Uh, I'm pretty sure we've, you know, Got a new family of owls that have moved into the big oak down by the lake. It's it's truly spectacular and wonderful. It's marvellous, really. <laughs> Couldn't ask for more. How about you?
0: Oh uh, yeah, um, you know, same, same, pretty much, <laughs> same as you, <laughs> except for yeah. not with the giant palace and massive grounds.
1: I'm sure there are other parts of your life which more than compensate for the squalor in which you live. Probably exist, uh, whatever they are. And people probably like you or
0: something yeah I've heard that there's a direct inverse relationship between the size of your house and the size of your penis so um, yeah
1: ah I see I see and I've uh, found that there is a direct relationship between the size of your wallet and everything else
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you may have the world's biggest wallet but it's pretty empty after Emily's had her way with it isn't it like many things oh dear <laughs> 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 Off to a strong start. As well. Strong start. Doing good.
1: Yeah. It's nine thirty PM. It's not my fault that all of the trousers that I packed were ruined somehow, and I'm just roaming the streets in a pair of pants that are a little bit too small.
0: <laughs> Did you buy them purposely small? I'd rather not comment. Just, uh, just a shrink wash. Eh? Sure. Let's go with that. It wasn't my fault. Although
1: I do do <laughs> the laundry, so I guess it would be my fault. But they don't know that I do the laundry, so let's just edit that bit out.
0: Yeah, definitely going to edit that bit out. <laughs> All right. Well, glad to hear that you're having a good time in your uh, in your giant palace with your tiny pants.
1: Yep, Just pants and nothing else, in case you're wondering.
0: Okay. That's good to know. That's good to know. Now, you'll be thrilled to hear, Craig, that today we're going to be talking about one of my favourite things in personal finance, pensions. Yeah, I know that sounds incredibly sad, and you're right, it is. But the reason that I get so excited about pensions is because it's one of the key tools that we have that can help us take control of our financial future. Knowing how to use a pension is an important part of planning our personal finances.
1: Well, uh, I didn't realise it was pensions. It turns out I have to go to another place where I'm needed for something that's
0: pension-related. (laughs) <laughs> Liverpool by any chance oh no Jesus! what you'd rather yeah. talk about pensions than go to Liverpool
1: yeah I mean people have limits I mean come on have you ever been yeah. to Liverpool
0: no I haven't actually I've never been never planned to go either good plan yeah I've only I've never really been to Newcastle either I've only been through it
1: oh well, that's that's disappointing because it is a tremendous place
0: yeah, I mean, you do always go on about how it's one of the best cities close to the Scottish border on the England side.
1: Yep, it's it's definitely in the top one.
0: No.
1: <laughs> yeah, huh. a good part of Scotland is Edinburgh.
0: Yeah, well, you've got to go through it to get to Edinburgh, haven't you?
1: Yeah, but you be better, better off staying in Newcastle. It's more fun. Well, no, that's not fair. Edinburgh's pretty
0: good. I don't know. I can't comment. I've only been... To Edinburgh and through Newcastle, and it was okay. I mean, you know, nothing special. Yeah, you, know, you can't really judge a place just going through it on the train. It's
1: hard to judge a place at sixty miles an hour. Is that what you're saying? I mean-
0: <laughs> sixty miles an hour? <laughs> what trains have you been taking? I don't
1: know. I have no idea how fast a train goes through a city, but you know, I'm sure it would slow
0: down a little bit. I don't think but- any trains go at sixty miles an hour in the UK, do they?
1: Yeah. When was the last time you got on a train? Well, southern trains used to get, you know, well, especially if they were running late, it used to wrap the speed up significantly.
0: What well, was that? The whole one year that you're they were on strike for?
1: Oh, no. So the, um, well, I used to sit with a bunch of people who were big tour. There was one guy in who used to be a train driver. Interesting fella, He was a, used to be a train driver and he also used to be in the Navy where his job was to steer the boat. Quite a good job in the Navy, I suppose. But he always used to have like uh, something that could track his speed and any lateral G forces that were being exerted by the train. And you know, he clocked his going above ninety <laughs> a few times. He always used to have that. When he noticed we were going a bit quick, like, oh, he's going out a cliff, isn't he? So he gets his little app out on his phone, and like, oh, look, we're doing ninety three. Oh, he's slowing down. Oh, the up again. Now he's now just the ID for the um, Greenwich Maritime Museum and the Greenwich Observatory and all that stuff.
0: Huh. Cool.
1: If you ever so, go there and any of these screens aren't working, it's his fucking fault.
0: Oh, really? The, last yeah. time I went, they, none of them were working. That's his fault. Yeah, well, tell him from me if you ever see him again.
1: Well, I'll say, my friend says, your museum is a pile of shit and the IT is terrible. You know, yeah, you're probably <laughs> right. I mean, he was, you know, old, uh, like 55?
0: So maybe you should listen to this episode then.
1: Maybe. Maybe, maybe it might be a bit late for him, to be honest, if he's if he's that age. But he's about to be at pension age, it's probably a bit late to do something about your pension, isn't it? You probably should have thought of that years ago.
0: <laughs> there you go. That's the end of the episode. Craig has <laughs> <laughs> hit the nail on the head from the start. <laughs> Pensions fucking solved. Think about it now because it'll
1: be too late if you do it later. Cool. Night, everybody. Have a wonderful time. Happy Christmas. <laughs>
0: Oh, actually, I have got some news before we get stuck into things. You know, last episode we were talking about Tesco versus Sainsbury for beer selection. Well, mm-hmm. you'd be uh, you'd be pleased to know that I actually got sent a survey from Sainsbury's about my beer consumption. Oh,
1: nice. Do they think, so, you've got obviously? A is, is that why they sent it? They think you might have a problem. Yeah. We've, we've, looked at, we've looked at your spending habits and so we think you might have a problem. So we're interested.
0: I think they've listened to the episode and they realize the problem is that their buyer is not good enough and that they may actually be uh, be looking to increase their range. Oh,
1: good. That's good. That's good news. They've got a few Tiny Rebel beers in there. I was in there. Mm, they? Yeah. yeah. They've, got, they've got Drygate and Tiny Rebel and a bit of brew dog. So they've got a few. So it's not it's not like terrible. It's not a wasteland, but it's just yeah. a
0: bit, bit, bit of Beaver Town. But yeah, not the end of the world, but like I say, it could be better. Yeah, but obviously Sainsbury's are one of our millions of listeners, so that's good to know, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that is that is good to know. That's tremendous.
0: We're having a direct impact on the UK's beer consumption. Hopefully, I can only hope that we have a positive influence on the on the country uh,
1: in a number of ways. And if we help them drink better beer, then I think that's probably. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, three kids—they're all fairly. You know, happy, decent job, and a happy wife, most of the time. Getting the country to drink better beer, greatest achievement to date, for sure. For sure.
0: Definitely. On the CV, I'm going to put that on the website as well.
1: I mean, I'm so happy about it. I'm to take my pants off, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> they were chasing so.
0: <laughs> I'm not surprised they're so small.
1: Yeah, it's definitely the size of the pants and not what they were trying to contain. But
0: that's that's actually true. It was just a size nice of no. <laughs> Well, I guess uh, the conclusion of that is that we all have to do our bit for the needs of the country in these challenging and trying times. And Craig likes nuts with his beer. <laughs> Who doesn't? Only those really dry, salty ones, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't want you don't want dry roasted. Well, you might want dry roasted. I feel <laughs> like I need Urban Dictionary now so I can check if dry <laughs> roasting is the thing.
0: it's definitely a thing it it has to be a thing if it's not we're going to have to put it in that's what she said (laughs) (laughs) we are definitely uh, too old to be uh, making these jokes Craig I hear that once you reach nearly 40 that's it you're not allowed to make them anymore
1: oh god so they changed the HR system at work right so now you can go and check your personal details and it tells you your age which is not a new thing except it tells you your age to the day. So you can see you are actually a lot closer to forty than you thought you were. Because <laughs> oh, oh actually I'm a lot nearer to the next birthday than I would ever really thought about. I'm actually oh well oh, that's good. That's fun to know why have you added that feature? That's
0: that's a terrible feature. <laughs> <laughs> You're not 40 your next birthday though, are you? No 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 I've oh, got right. another I've got another
1: year and like six months and three days or
0: something. Well, you're still a fair way off being able to take your pension. So I guess there's positive maybe there?
1: Yeah, let's talk about pensions. They're extremely important, I hear.
0: Yeah, that's a good segue into this uh, episode. So uh, yeah, let's get stuck in then. So pensions can seem like a big and scary topic because they seem to be complicated and confusing with lots of rules. And a number of attempts by different governments over the last 20 years or so to simplify things have probably done the exact opposite by creating more rules and different types of pensions. In fact, there's actually so much to talk about when it comes to pensions. You could probably just have an entire podcast dedicated to just them. But let's be honest, who's really going to listen to that? I'm not even sure that I would. And Craig certainly... Well, I don't know, Craig, would you? Uh, Yeah, totally. Okay, so Craig would. Yeah, I mean... But, Craig, you'll be glad to hear that you don't need to know all there is to know about pensions to understand how they can work for you. So we're going to be carrying on with our theme of understanding where we currently are so we can figure out how to get to where we want to be. And we're going to be building on the knowledge foundations that we laid in the first season when we first talked about what pensions actually are and looking at what our current pension situation is. So once you've got a handle on this, then we can come to the planning stage of our financial framework. You'll be able to work out what needs to be done because without knowing your current situation, you won't know where to start. So there's two main types of pensions, the state pension and private pensions. And ultimately, they both aim to do the same thing, but they're quite different. Now, Craig, I know I promised you that we'd only talk about pensions for one episode, but because they are quite different, we're gonna cover private pensions on this episode and the state pension in the next episode to help break it up a bit. And because on this show, we're just a pair of mavericks who like to fly low to the ground and buzz the tower, it's Top Gun reference for you there.
1: Yeah. I mean obviously the reference really lands if you immediately say the reference. <laughs> that's how it's supposed to work.
0: I don't think many of our listeners were alive when Top Gun first came out, to be honest. When did Top Gun first come out? Oh must be eighties, right? Eighty five?
1: No, yeah. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say eighty seven. Let's have a look. I'll find out. Keep talking about the thrilling topic of pensions.
0: Okay, well, you know, you, you don't need to be highly concentrating or anything, so that's lucky. 86, it's split 86, oh. Yeah. Okay, I was alive, so that's good, or bad, I'm not really sure. Depends on who you ask. Yeah, you were definitely alive.
1: I certainly yeah. were Oh my God, 54% on Road right to Mars, have they not seen
0: it in fact? Oh, 54%? Yeah.
1: Jesus. Oh, shocking.
0: So yeah, so we're just going to be focusing on private pensions in this episode. <laughs> And to keep it simple, think of a private pension as any pension that isn't the state pension. So this includes pensions that you've started yourself or any pensions that you have through your current workplace or former workplaces. So, Craig, can you help remind us what a private pension actually is? Skipping all the jargon in as easy to understand as you could possibly make it terms.
1: Oh, let's see. So uh, you put money away from your salary every month. So that when you are no longer able to be an active part of the workforce, you have a a nest egg, a pot of cash with which to survive your golden years.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much spot on. The way that I like to think of it is it's just another type of piggy bank that holds our money for us, except for this one comes with some helpful tax benefits. And we keep adding to it until we're ready to retire, like Craig said. It's basically our retirement present to ourselves we get to crack open that piggy bank or we look to stop working. And so the more money we put into it, then the sooner we can retire or the more money that we'll have in our retirement. Currently, you can start taking any private pensions you have from 55 years old, although well, this is likely to increase in the coming years. So that sounds great. You know, Craig's only about three years away from retirement. As long as your pension is big enough to live on and will last you from when you retire until you die. If not, then you may find yourself struggling to get by in your 80s or 90s. So that's not really a position that any of us want to be in. So it can be a bit of a double-edged sword being able to take your pension so early. When are you going to take your pension, Craig? 55? Or slightly later?
1: Oh, God. I don't know. Later. I think I'll probably be working for a while.
0: Yeah, I think you're probably going to work till you uh, die at this rate, aren't you?
1: Well, yeah, probably. Who knows? Yeah.
0: So there are two main types of private pensions: defined benefit pensions and defined contribution pensions. Now that sounds like technical rubbish, I know, a load of jargon. But you've probably all heard of a defined benefit or a DB pension. It's one of those old final salary scheme pensions that you get. So when you retire, you basically get a guaranteed amount of money every year for the rest of your life. It sounds amazing. You basically don't have to do any work, and you get a proportion of your old salary forever just forever and there are other ones as well as final salary ones like average salary pensions as well
1: I've, I've often wondered about that you know so the the sort of final salary pensions where you get that money in perpetuity i mean is that does that have an upper limit if you're like a really stubborn bastard and you like 110 do they still pay you
0: Yeah, still pay you forever. And then if you die, they often pay, if you have a surviving spouse, 50% of what you were getting for the rest of their life as well. Yeah. Yeah, so pretty much like a a golden egg in your golden years. It's normally worked out based on how long you've been at a company for, and then they give a percentage of that salary that you either finished on or that that you earned on average over the whole time that you were there. Um, so say, for example, you worked at a company for 40 years, you may end up with two thirds of your final salary to live on for the rest of your life. If you were there for 20 years, it might be a third or whatever, but it's still like a good guaranteed income forever. Unfortunately, these types of pensions for new employees are almost non-existent anymore. The reason is because they're so costly to companies. They've gone out of fashion and some have even run out of money. So you may have seen some high-profile examples recently on the news, like when the company British Steel went under recently. Well, they're looking at it at the moment, actually. They're looking at whether the pension scheme can afford to pay those people pensions for the rest of their life. And it looks like not really. So it's great if you can get a decent one. But if you don't, you may have all your eggs in one basket and then suddenly it can't pay out. But still, I'd much rather have one than not have one, that's for sure. So, yeah, a lot of older people that are currently pensioners have these types of pensions. But unfortunately, Craig, it's unlikely that you or I will ever get one of these unless we worked in the public sector, like as a teacher or for the government or in the police. Because the public sector is the only area that still has these types of pensions. And even those organisations have been trying to phase them out over the last 10 to 15 years for new employees anyway, that is. I think maybe when you started at your current company, Craig, they were just getting rid of the uh, the final salary scheme there. Oh,
1: man, that's bad timing. Annoying.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so a defined contribution pension is basically what the rest of us will probably have. If you have a pension through work or one that you set up yourself, it will more than likely be one of these. And these pensions are ones that will be held with different providers like Standard Life, Aviva, Aegon. You've probably heard of other ones as well. So, even Scottish with, widows. Yeah, Scottish widows, that's one. And even your workplace one will be through a financial provider like that. There's lots of different types of these defined contribution pensions. You don't really have to worry about them, but you may have heard them called uh, various things like stakeholder pensions, personal pensions, group pensions, money purchase schemes, SIPs, which are also self invested personal pensions. They're all defined contribution pensions. You don't really need to worry about it. But if you've got one of those, then you've got a defined contribution pension. And all it means is that whatever money you put into it will dictate how much money you can take out of it when you come to retire. It's just like any other account. If you put a pound in, you'll get a pound back plus any investment growth or interest between when you put the money in and when you retire. At the point that you want to take the money out of this type of pension, you can actually use it to buy a fixed income for life, like you would get with a defined benefit or final salary pension. And in pension jargon, this is called an annuity. However, at the moment, they're really, really expensive because people are living a lot longer once they retire these days. And providing someone with a fixed income for life can cost the pension company so much money that they basically offer really bad rates if you look to buy one. So if you bought an annuity with £100,000 these days, you might only be able to get about £3,000 a year to live on for the rest of your life. If you decide not to buy an annuity, you can basically take the money that you've built up in your pension as and when you need it. And in pension jargon, this is called drawdown. And drawdown is becoming a lot more popular as it offers a lot more flexibility to take what you want when you need it. However, the problem is if our pension is not big enough to pay for all the things we need or want, then we could run out of money in retirement and find ourselves in a really bad position later on in life. Think about back in the day when kids left school at 14 and had to work down mine or in the mill. Most people only lived for a few years after they retired. So this is why companies could afford to pay a defined benefit or final salary pension because they may only have had to pay them for a few years after retiring. Now, the average life expectancy is so much higher People can live potentially 30 to 40 years in retirement. No one can really afford to pay that much income for someone for the rest of their lives anymore, especially if you think that the companies may not even be able to afford to pay the people who are still working there. So instead, it's now become your own responsibility to save for your retirement. But if you're going to live for 30 to 40 years in retirement, that's a lot of money you have to save. After the last episode, where you went through your expenses and all the money coming out of your account each month, you will have a fair idea of how that looks over a whole year and how that may look if you multiplied it up by 30 to 40 years that you may live in retirement for. Yeah, that's a good starting point for how much money you may need in retirement. That's basically what pensions are for. And if you have a final salary pension, you don't really need to worry about how they work. You just need to know that you're going to get that income for the rest of your life. But if you have a defined contribution pension, it's more important to understand the nuts and bolts. So we'll focus on these types in a bit more detail now. These types of pensions are a type of investment account that means that when you put money into them, you can actually put money into investments like shares and bonds within your pension. Now, Craig, you and I are probably at least 20 years, probably more like 35 years away from taking money from our pensions at the moment. And that's a fucking long old time, I'm not going to lie. But some of our listeners out there will probably be even further away from taking their money out. So it may seem like, so what? Well, we'll sort that out later. I've already got plenty to worry about now, right? And I've got you know all these costs. I don't want to put money into a pension. I need to pay for you know this or that or whatever. And fair enough, But because we can invest this money within our pensions over long periods of time, investing money has historically led to it growing faster than inflation, meaning that in real terms, we end up with a lot more than we put in. Now, that's really good news for us for making sure that our pensions last us in later life. I'll give you a quick example. If you think, oh, you know, I don't really have that much money. I can only afford to put £100 a month into a pension at the moment. Don't worry, because, you know, that might not seem like enough to live on when you retire £100 a month. But in 40 years' time, depending on how the investments do within your pension, that could be worth, say, £500 a month. And that will certainly help a lot more than £100 a month. That's because you're benefiting from the investment growth on investment growth. That's basically called compound growth, which we talked about in Episode 5, Season 1. So if you can't remember how that works, go back and have a listen to that. That basically tells you why it's important to invest in a pension as early as you can
1: I mean the, the, the problem with that episode will be that I'm not in it, and so I just want to give people a warning it's it's full is- of tremendous content, but I'm not going to be there to help you out. Sorry guys
0: yeah maybe uh maybe Craig, you should do like a director's cut commentary over the top
1: mm. yeah, that's a great idea. I'll definitely go back and do that. <laughs>
0: So if you invested your money for 40 years and it can grow from, say, £100 a month to being worth £500 a month, if you instead waited for 10 years before putting that £100 in, it may only grow to £300 by the time you retire. So that's still you know a decent return over 30 years, but it may not be enough to help you. So basically, the sooner you start and the more you put in, the better. That's why there's a famous saying in investment terms, The two best times to invest are 20 years ago and today. So if you haven't started already, start today if you can. So Craig, personally, I think that people from our generation and your kids' generation especially are gonna face a real risk of running out of money in retirement, unfortunately. I think it's gonna be a widespread problem later on. Pension of poverty, or we'll just never be able to retire. What do you reckon about that? Yeah, I think
1: you've got a point. I think it's gonna be more and more difficult. and you know. In in my uh, youth, uh, I worked with a number of uh, retirement age people who had, you know, left the workforce doing what they were doing nine to five, and they were there with me stacking shelves overnight in a supermarket because they needed the extra income. And you know, it's not that that challenging to get that kind of job, and it's relatively low stress. It's relatively low uh, effort. But they just needed to get by. They needed to have that little bit of extra income coming in. So they need to work a few nights in a supermarket to just make ends meet. And I think that'll probably become more and more prevalent.
0: Yeah, and probably not what most people imagine for their retirement either. No, probably not. And you know, it's fair enough, like like I said earlier, you know, if you're thinking our oh, retirement's so far away, sometimes literally a lifetime away for some people, especially when you get your first job. You think, what's the point? I'll get around to it later. But basically, that's why the government is trying to encourage us to put money into pensions, that we have some money in retirement. And I think the cynic in me also says that so they don't have to pick up a big bill in the future by paying out benefits to people who have retired without enough money. But I think they're going to be still picking up a big bill anyway. So there we go. But um, they are uh, encouraging people to uh, put money into pensions through some fairly innovative ways. And I would encourage people to take them up on that because it can be very beneficial in a number of different ways. So one of the ways that they actually encourage people is by giving tax relief on any money you put into a pension. So if you pay money through your work and it just comes directly out of your pay, you won't pay any tax on that at all. It just comes out of your pay pre-tax. So it goes straight in with no tax taken off. Whereas if you got it paid directly to you, then you'd have tax taken off it and you'd end up with less. So that's quite good. Say, for example, you do want to put some extra money into your pension you know, and your company do pay you and tax comes off it. If you then pay that money into a pension, you will get the tax that's been taken off it. You will get it back. There's something called relief at source, which means that as soon as you put money into a pension, the pension provider will actually add the basic rate tax straight back onto it So that means, say you put £80 into a pension, then it will get topped straight back up to £100. If you're a a higher rate or additional rate taxpayer, you can also then reclaim the extra tax, the difference between those tax brackets and the basic rate tax, back at the end of the tax year. So basic rate tax is 20%, higher rate is 40%, and additional rate is 45%. So you instantly get your 20% straight back by putting it into a pension, and then you can reclaim another 20% if you're a higher rate, or 25% if you're an additional rate taxpayer, and you get that paid into your bank account at the end of the tax year. So it's very, very beneficial to put money into a pension because you get that tax relief on it. Think about it like this. If your employee gave you £100, it gets 20% tax taken off it. You end up with £80. And you try to invest that yourself. Well, you might get taxed on the uh, investment growth and on the dividends or interest that you earn on that. Plus, you're starting off with 80 pounds. That is a lot slower way of building up money than if it goes straight into a pension. You end up with 100 pounds in that pension. And then any investment growth on it and any dividends or any interest is actually uh, given to you without any tax being charged on that. So you start off with more money and it's growing at a bigger rate. And so effectively, you end up with more money over the same period of time. So basically, your investment can grow quicker than if you invested it outside of a pension. And because you can't touch that money until the age of 55 at least, think about how that can help it grow over a long period of time. When you remember how much compounding can help, especially in the later years, after 20 or 30 or 40 years of being invested. Can I ask
1: um, a, a sort of technical, well, I guess, it's very yeah. just a, like a process question when it comes to pensions. So say yeah. you get to 55 and you've got your pension and you're still working, you're still an active part of the workforce, but you think mm-hmm. what I really need is I need, <clears throat> you know, the, uh, the East Wing needs a new roof and I've got, I've got some cash in this pension that I could use to pay for a new roof for the East Wing of, uh, you know, of, of, of uh, James Manners, <laughs> um, can I, you know, even though I'm still working, can I take my pension money, and draw it down, and use it at the age of fifty five, even though I'm still a can. part of the workforce? Oh,
0: okay, yeah, you you can, and um, one of the other tax advantages of a pension is that when you take it out, twenty five percent of what you take out is tax free. And then the other 75% of what you take out is taxed at your marginal rate of income tax. So in other words, what that means is, so that 75% that is taxable is added to your other income. So if you are still working, then it will get added onto your salary. If it takes you into a higher uh, rate tax bracket, then you'd pay 40% on that. If you're still within basic rate, then you pay 20% if you're within your personal allowance, then that could be tax-free completely. Yeah, you can take out the uh, pension monies whilst you're still working. And a lot of people actually do do that just to top up a bit of income or they're paying for you know, a new car or a holiday or something like that, just to give them a little bit of funds. And because it is tax-free, or some of it is tax-free, and there's a thing now called a flexible access drawdown, which means that you can take The tax-free amount, the 25% that's tax-free, you can take that and leave the amount that's still taxable within your pension without taking it. So you don't get taxed on that until you take it out of your pension. But it's still growing. It's still being invested and can still grow further. It's just that when you take it out, that's when you pay tax on that extra 75%. Uh, But basically, yeah, so you can take out money whilst you're you're still working as long as you're over the minimum age to take it out. That's
1: interesting. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So what what you probably find is that the people that do do that, they take out the tax-free amount only uh, until Mm -hmm. they stop working and then, you know, they're not earning any income at all and then they have a full personal allowance of £12,500, which is tax-free, and then they'll take out, you know, the taxable amount within that. That way it's more tax efficient than taking out the taxable amount whilst you're still earning an income. But, you know, in this day and age where people are sort of phasing their retirement over a number of years, you know, easing down or, or just working forever in retirement, you know, two, three days a week, then, you know, it, it makes sense for people to take a little bit out of their pension and still have an income. And because you have that flexibility, you can, really uh, do a lot of tax planning to make it very efficient for you. So you pay you know much less tax than you would if it was all just employment income. Mm. Okay.
1: Excellent.
0: Thank you very much. That's okay. But yeah, I think you're still a fair way off taking it out, mate. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, don't worry. I wasn't planning on doing anything anytime soon. I was just wondering if it was possible to do.
0: Yeah, because you, you, know, you probably need a new roof in, in about 15 years, right?
1: Well... I'm not sure about the people who fitted the roof last time. I mean, they were from Surrey, and
0: oh, okay. Say no more. Yeah,
1: Surrey builders.
0: It's not called slurry, sorry for nothing. I've literally never heard it called that.
1: But okay, yeah. that's great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i just made it up.
1: Oh, it's terrible, but um, that's a wonderful effort. Good of you to try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: So basically, Craig, a pension is a bit like a friend with benefits, except for if that friend is a bank account no, that will help no, you retire.
1: That's not how that works. I thought you need to go back to a dictionary. That's not how that works. That's not what that is.
0: <laughs> Craig will put a resource for what friends of benefits are in the show notes afterwards. So if it, you want to check that out,
1: definitely not someone who gives you your money back when you get to fifty-five. That's not what that is. <laughs>
0: Okay. So it's like a friend with benefits but not.
1: Yes, that makes sense and is a sentence that is well constructed.
0: Yeah. So I think you get this at your work Craig. Have you you've got salary sacrifice, haven't you? I've
1: Got ritual sacrifice, what did you say?
0: Ritual sacrifice. Are you are you, uh, are you part of the salary sacrifice scheme at work?
1: Um, yeah, I'm part of the virgin sacrifice scheme at work. What, what was the questions? <laughs>
0: Yeah. So a lot of people out there, their employers may offer something called salary sacrifice, and it doesn't sound as painful as Craig thinks it does. What it means is that you can either get more paid into your pension or you can get more take-home money. I'm pretty sure you're part, you, you have that at your work, Craig, and I think it's automatic. But what it basically means is that your company – pretends like the money that they pay into your pension was never part of your salary in the first place. So it looks like your total annual salary is less and what they do is they just put the difference straight into the pension. That may sound like, okay, that's weird. So so what's the difference? What's the point? You can still end up getting the same take-home pay, but you may end up with a bigger amount being put into your pension. Because if you had never paid it as a salary in the first place... You don't have to pay national insurance on it, whereas if it is part of your salary and then your company puts it into your pension for you, whilst you don't pay income tax on it, you still have to pay national insurance, which is 12% for basically people in the basic rate bracket and 2% for people over that. That's still quite a hefty amount to pay. Also, the companies have to pay 13.8% of national insurance on it as well. So that's you know a whopping 25.8% extra tax that has to be paid if you don't do salary sacrifice. So that 25.8%, that's £25.80 for every £100 that has lost to national insurance. So instead, if a company says, right, well, instead of paying you that £100, I'm just going to pretend you never had it in the first place, pay it straight into your pension, that's £25.80 saved. And so you will save 12% of that, or £12 and that £100, and the company will save 13.8% or £13.80. Now, what you'll find is that some companies are very generous, and they'll actually give you some or all of that £13.80 into your pension. So you can be in a situation where either you end up with the same take-home pay, but more money in your pension, or more take-home pay for the same amount of your pension, or more of both, more take-home pay and more in your pension. So it's usually a very good idea if your company offers salary sacrifice to take them up on it. Bottom line, more money, either in your pension or your take-home or both.
1: So if your private pension is outside of the pension scheme that's offered by your employer, I know you said that you can get the tax back immediately have yeah. the pension provider or part of it and then you you know the rest of it you can get at the end of the, the tax year when you fill in your tax return how does that work with yeah. the national insurance
0: contribution it if- doesn't you still you still have to pay national insurance so that's another benefit of putting all the money into a pension that you want to through your workplace rather than taking the money first and then putting it into a private pension that you can't avoid paying the national insurance on it because you've already paid it and it's not possible to reclaim it as part of putting it back into a pension. Mm, Okay. Most companies that offer salary sacrifice these days will also take your original salary before the sacrifices happen into account when it comes on to things like bonuses. So they'll calculate your bonus on the non-sacrificed amount. So that means that you still get a full bonus. And it means that any pay rises as well will apply to the full amount before the sacrifice. Largely, it's a very good idea to uh, sign up for it. And there's only a few scenarios which we won't get into now where it's not a good idea. But um, if you see it and you're wondering what it is, that's what salary sacrifice means. Craig, you mentioned there that, you know, what happens if you have a private pension, you put money into it and can you reclaim national insurance? And the answer to that is no. And then I guess the next question is, well, what if you don't pay any tax? Can you still claim tax back on it? And the answer is yes, up to a certain amount of money. Everybody, even if they don't have any earnings, can put in £2,880 a year into a private pension and get basic rate tax relief on it. So that's basically a free £720 top-up in the pension, taking it up to £3,600. You can put more money in if you want but you won't get those benefits that's that's the maximum you can put in to get the tax benefits if you don't earn any income or pay any tax
1: if you worked in a in a, an industry that was you know a cash industry you know it was uh, no a <laughs> the transaction then you would still be able to uh, get some tax relief on a pension that's, that's quite interesting
0: you would still have to declare your taxes. I wouldn't encourage anyone not to, but effectively, if you got a very big birthday gift from your, uh, I don't know, long lost uncle whose roof you also happened to uh, to do for them, and you know it just so happened that it coincided that the money came into your account just after doing that, then yes, you could put that money into a pension, and you would get tax relief on it. For the first two thousand eight hundred and eighty pounds, and basically means that you get a free seven hundred and twenty pounds top up, courtesy of HMRC.
1: Fantastic! Great news.
0: There are some other sort of rules around, you know, the annual limits that you can put in to get benefits. There's also a lifetime allowance as well. We're not w- really worried about that at the moment, and it's quite high as well. It's over a million pounds, so I don't think many of us are needing to worry about that just yet. Craig, do you know how many pensions you can have at one time? Thirty-seven. Yeah, I mean that's probably how many you've got, isn't it?
1: How many do you say how many pensions you can hold at one time? I mean, you know, the staff left, and I needed to get somebody to, um, you know, to squash the olives for me, and I wasn't going to do it myself. So I just there was a residential care home nearby. It's complicated. They're fine. They smell a bit. They, you know, <laughs> Oh, but you know, ultimately, it's, it's a, an agreement that works for everybody. But it's an agreement that works for me, and that's all that matters. What are you saying? What does it
0: <laughs> not how many pensioners can you imprison at one time? How many pensions can you have They're at one
1: prisoners. time? They're not prisoners. They're not prisoners. <laughs> they, they are. They are lodgers with duties. They want to pay their way. Some of them are quite confused, but that's fine. The others keep them in mind mostly.
0: No. <laughs> yeah. So the answer is that you can have as many pensions as you want, either personal ones that you've set up yourself or ones through your current or previous workplaces. You can open as many as you want in a tax year as well. So it's not like ISAs where you can only open one of each type per year. So that's great. I mean, it offers you the ability to, anytime that you find a pension provider that you like, to open a new account. But it does lead to people having a lot of different pensions with small amounts dotted around all over the place. And if you think, every time that you leave a different company or join a new one, you end up with another pension. And I think that's probably going to happen even more as people these days tend to move jobs a lot more than they used to. I know exactly
1: how that feels. I have all kinds of pensions from all kinds of employers and they're all over the place. It's,
0: it's a bit of a pain. How many, how many do you reckon you've got? I would say I've got at least uh
1: four, maybe five.
0: Yeah, that's... I, I imagine that's pretty standard for sort of people our age. But I think it's it's a trend these days, isn't it, to move on from your job every few years. Uh, you and I have both done it quite a lot. We've both had quite a few jobs. And I think one of the reasons why people did it a lot less in the olden days—I'm talking, you know, like a few decades ago, like the real olden days—is that because the defined benefit or the final salary schemes that companies used to offer encouraged people to stay for longer. Because the longer you were there for, the better pension that you ended up with. That's why people sometimes stayed in did a job for 30, 40 years of their whole working life. But there's nothing wrong with having lots of small pension pots dotted around all over the place. Apart from it can be a bit hard to keep track of them all, and make sure they're still right for you. And it's actually possible and actually much easier these days to transfer these pots and consolidate them into one pension to make it easier to keep track of. But you do have to be careful, though. Sometimes you're better off leaving your pensions where they are because you don't want to give up valuable benefits or end up paying higher costs if you don't have to. So always make sure you know what you're doing and what you're giving up before you do this. And if you, like Craig, have got lots of pensions that you've collected from lots of different employers and you may have lost the details of them or don't really know what you do and don't have, you can find details of old pension providers using the pension tracing service. So you can search by your old employers and it will say who you need to get in contact with to find out more about what pensions you have with them. Now, I'm going to put a link in the show notes and the website so you can find out how to do this. But at the end of the day, it's definitely better to have lots of smaller pensions dotted around than having no pensions at all.
1: Could you enlist the help of an independent financial advisor to help you trace your pensions?
0: I mean, you can do, but the financial advisor is only going to go on the, that same website that I'll put in the show notes anyway. So there's no point in you paying someone to do it if you don't have to. What the financial advisor will help you do is work out if once you've found that pension, if it's better off keeping it where it is, or whether it's better off consolidating it or putting it into a new pension plan that may offer better benefits or cheaper costs and better access to uh, to different things than you might have now. But like I say, you could end up giving up very valuable benefits that you don't want to. So I guess that's where a financial advisor may be able to help you. But despite all the tax benefits that are available with pensions, lots of people until recently didn't have any pensions at all. Why do you reckon that is, Craig? Stupid. I don't know about you, but until I started sort of looking into it a little bit more, I didn't really know... That much about pensions apart from what they you know what they do is that they give you money in retirement but you know i didn't really know how much you're supposed to pay in you know my companies that i worked for just paid some in for me um some of the companies that i worked in i didn't actually pay any in at all it was just from the company so i didn't think i needed to pay any in myself so i don't necessarily think that it's stupidity but just a lack of understanding probably i think as well when i was younger certainly Retirement seems so far off that it just wasn't something worth considering. So that's another reason why I wasn't too worried about it and just thought, I'll let it take care of itself. I think another reason as well is that if you're not necessarily earning that much money, it can be a very difficult decision about whether you can actually afford to put money into a pension for the future if you're struggling to afford to be able to eat now. That's a really tough situation to be in. How do you make a decision based on that? I think you always have to go with feeding yourself now, right, rather than thinking about feeding yourself in 40 years' time. I hope that things improve between now and then. But it's still difficult because you know that every year that ticks by that you're not saving into a pension. It's going to make it harder when you do retire. A pretty recent development, I don't know if you've heard of this, Craig, is that most companies now have to automatically enroll a lot of their staff into pensions. In other words, they have to set pensions up for their workers. It's compulsory for any of their workers between the ages of 22 and the state pension age, which is currently 66, who are earning over £10,000 a year. And companies have to pay at least 3% of your salary. And the workers then need to pay the difference between whatever your company is put in and 8%. So workers may have to put in up to 5%. But if your company pays in the full 8% or more, then you don't necessarily need to pay in anything yourself if you don't want to. Unfortunately, if you fall outside of that age range or don't earn the minimum amount, then your company doesn't have to enrol you into a pension at all, which isn't great. Also, if you're not an employee but are a contractor or a director or self-employed, then you might not be entitled to auto-enrolment either. Now, anyone can opt out of this auto-enrolment if you decide it's not for you or you can't afford it but be careful before you do this firstly because you're not going to be saving towards your future but secondly because you will lose out on at least that 3% that the company has to pay you for free think about it for doing the same amount of work you're getting an extra 3% of your salary paid into your pension for your future and thirdly because remember that whatever you have to pay in on top of that gets tax relief so if you're a basic rate taxpayer and you have to pay in 5% to get it up to the 8%, you actually only have to put in what would be 4% of your take-home salary. You're basically getting the extra 1% of tax relief plus the 3% from your employer. So the amount that you put in after tax, which will be 4%, will actually get doubled up to 8%. So it's quite a good benefit if you are auto-enrolled to stay auto-enrolled and not to opt out of it. Also, some companies offer to pay in more than 3% if you match any increases. So that means that they say that you have to pay in 5% if they pay in 3%, but they may offer to pay in 4% if you pay in 6% and may offer to pay in 5% if you pay in 7% and so on. And if you can afford to, getting your company to pay the most into your pension that you can is usually the best approach because you're basically getting the most free money from your company that you can without having to do any extra work. I think, Craig, doesn't your company offer that matching scheme where if you increase the amount that you pay into your pension, they increase it as well? Yeah, I believe so. It's definitely worth doing as much as you can because it can be a really valuable benefit, basically giving you a bonus for nothing. You may still be sitting there going, okay, great, that's amazing you get benefits and it can help you in your retirement, but how much do I need to be paying into my pension to make sure that I'm okay in retirement? That's a really difficult thing to answer because it depends on how long you are away from taking that money out, what you invest in and how those investments do between now and then. But a really rough, rough estimate is to say, okay, if you want half of your salary that you finish on in retirement, so say you finish on £30,000 a year when you retire, if you want £15,000 a year to live on in retirement, A rough approach is to take the age that you are or were when you first started properly saving towards retirement and divide that by two, and that is the annual percentage of your income that you should aim to be paying in between you and your company. So if you start saving towards retirement at 18, you need to be aiming for about 9% of your salary every year going into your pension. However, if you start later at, say, 40 then it's going to need to be 20%. And this is because the earlier you start, the bigger your pension should be at retirement thanks to compounding and all the regular contributions that you make in. If you start later, there's not as much time to make lots of regular contributions or benefit as much from compounding. So we've covered quite a lot of different areas today. So starting off from what pensions are, what the main types are, how they work, some of the tax benefits, Most importantly, if there's one thing you should take from today's episode, it's why we need to make pensions an integral part of our financial future. So after this episode, I'd highly recommend that you work out all of the pensions that you have. Get in touch with the pension providers and ask for a pension or a benefit statement from them. For defined benefit pensions, this will tell you how much you will get per year when you retire. For defined contribution pensions, this will tell you how much you have in there at the moment, what it's invested in. You can work out how much you have in the pensions in total, work out how much you're paying in per year, then ask yourself, when are you planning to retire, either partly or fully? And then how much per year do you think you're going to need to live on? Once you've done all that, you'll then be able to see, at this rate, do you think you're going to have enough by then? And if not, what can you do about this? Now, you don't need to come up with all the answers now. The point of doing this is just to figure out where you are and where you want to be in the future and we'll come on to how to get there in future seasons so that's pretty much private pensions covered and next time in the next episode we're going to be looking at state pensions so craig i'm sure you would be pleased to hear that the next episode is going to be a much shorter one
1: hey i mean you know it's it's not necessarily about the length of something it's about how and how much you can achieve with it
0: you know? <laughs> no comment you're a uh, tighty
1: too tight. Oh, I've lost feeling in my legs. Although, obviously, I took them off earlier, but I had to put them back on because it was a bit cold. <laughs>
0: it's lucky uh, It's lucky we don't do this uh, via YouTube, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, you are a grotesque individual, so I think that would probably not help with, uh, with our
0: viewers. I think our listeners would be uh, surprised to see that Newcastle has its own Macaulay Culkin.
1: I mean, they might be, but... Uh, uh, who knows? I mean, I, I was about to make the Macaulay face, Facebook. What's the point? Because we're not on YouTube. Because uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a peek behind the curtain. This is James's operation, and he is, uh, you know, he's a tight, fisted individual. He is unwilling to speculate on the future of this enterprise. So, I'm, <laughs> I'm not getting paid for this. Uh, we haven't got any ad revenue. We're not on YouTube. I mean. If you didn't have those pictures, I wouldn't be on this podcast. That's all
0: I'm going to say. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think I should be the worried one. I think you've got uh, you've got the pictures from my stag day.
1: Yes, yes, I have. That's a great point. Should we put those in the show?
0: <laughs> well, you know, if you do want to go on YouTube, my um, my company will be very kindly providing me with a webcam in the near future. So, um, well, at least one of us can be on YouTube. Oh,
1: great. <laughs> <laughs> why aren't they sponsoring us? I mean,
0: why do you think they don't want to be associated with us?
1: <laughs> yeah. What is it about the content of this show? Is it the sort of the crude and puerile jokes? Is it the suggestion that it's okay to capture and enslave pensioners? Is it all the knob jokes? I mean, yeah. <laughs> so maybe you're the problem. I think, I mean, that's fairly transparent. Uh, I mean, it's a shame that you feel that you need to sort of throw mud in my direction.
0: I think maybe this is the reason why most of our listeners are French as well, because they can't actually understand what we say.
1: It could be. I mean, it could be just that we have a sort of a, a Gallic flair. You described us as mavericks earlier. It's entirely inaccurate, but maybe they've misattributed us with those kinds of characteristics.
0: Well, yeah. on, and on that note, <laughs> <I think> that's... <laughs> Remember, you can find the show notes and how to get in touch with us on the website at pennyradio.co.uk and you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Penny Pod. We'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you listen on. Craig especially, he derives all of his self-worth from those reviews.
1: I just want to clarify, when you say platform, if people are standing on a train platform, they shouldn't feel compelled to scratch a review into the nearest advertising quarter. That's, that's vandalism and we frown upon that. It. Unless it's really spectacular... I mean, unless you really go for it, unless you use like lighter fluid and then set fire to it. So it's burned forever into the hoarding. That's great. Go for that. I mean, I I support that.
0: We we live in a world of viral marketing, Craig. That's the way forward.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I'm not interested in some fucking scratching it into a wall with a compass. If you're going to go for that kind of act, you know, go big or fuck off. Hang on. This is how we ended the last show. Oh no. It's happened (laughs) again. Ah, Good night, everybody. One of the pensioners has got out and they're off towards the swans. This is going to be a long evening. Good night, everybody.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Penny Radio. Join me next time where we'll be continuing the journey to help you master your money.